We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, the passage we're going to look at, just three verses, verses 43, 44, and 45. We will get to that in just a moment. You'll see that in just a moment. But those are the three verses we're going to look at. I'll tell you a little story. Um, my son Eli, uh, he's 20 years old now. He would be somewhat embarrassed if he were in this room to tell this story, but it's a true story, so it happened. Um, Vanessa, my wife, had taken him to the doctor. I can't remember exactly the reason she had taken him, just probably normal little kid stuff. He was probably, I don't know, four or five years old, something like that. Old enough to talk, although he was, he was one that talked really plainly very early. Uh, but he was old enough to talk. And the nurse comes to him and asks him, now, what's your name? Partly just to be friendly, you know, kind of do. Partly just to be friendly, but also just to verify she's talking to the right patient. Just, that's what she was doing. And this, and I have to admit, I mean, he's mean and ugly now, but when he was about that old, about three or four years old, he was the cutest little boy. Cute, just like his daddy. Uh, cutest little fella. Little dark-haired boy, and he looked up at him. He, he said to her, said, my name is Peter Parker. And the nurse looked at her chart, and then looked at my wife, and said something to the effect of, I think I have a different name on my chart. And she was too stunned or too polite. I don't know what the answer was, but she ultimately had to wonder, is this a child abduction situation here that this woman has brought in Peter Parker when indeed I thought she said his name was Eli Tilly. And Vanessa said, no, 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 no. He, he's really Eli Tilly. Peter Parker is the boy in the super, uh, Spider-Man, uh, 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 Spider-Man stuff, and he, he likes to pretend to be a superhero. I will grant you, the good news is Vanessa didn't go to jail that day. They didn't, that child services wasn't brought in. It was, it was all resolved peacefully. But it wouldn't be the last time that Eli's superhero antics caused a little bit of a stir. It was the time when he, we, we were living over in Walnut Cove at the time, and we had about a, about a, a porch, probably about, about four or five feet high, about like that, and brick steps going down it. And he jumped off those steps straight. Superman pose, because he thought he was going to take off and fly. Of course, he busted his head open when he did it, but he, he, he wasn't flying anywhere, of course, because he's not able to do that. And then there was the other time, and I, I don't know what superhero is trying to be, maybe Batman or something, where he's standing on solid ground and thought he could do a flip right up in the air. And he's not a gymnast or anything like that, just so you know. He's not able to do that. And, of course, landed right on his back, knocked the wind out of him. And you can call him a hypocrite if you want to, and maybe that's true. Or maybe you can just call him a cute kid with a lot of confidence and big dreams. But he could not produce superhuman feats of speed and strength. Try as he wanted to, pretend as he wanted to, he could not do it. Because why? He's a little boy. He's not Batman. He's not Superman. And we know this, right? We understand this. At least I hope you understand. My son is not Batman. I hope you understand that. But that is the very idea that Jesus is addressing in his teaching to his disciples in Luke chapter 6. Now, Luke chapter 6, if you you understand what it looks like, if you know what's called the Sermon on the Mount, this is over in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this is what's called the Sermon on the Plain. 
It's a lot of the same concepts, not exactly word for word, but Jesus clearly, like a lot of itinerant preachers might do when they're preaching around, they kind of have a lot of the same themes that they're preaching on. It's a lot of similar themes to the Sermon on the Mount, but it's the Sermon on the Plain, and it's a little bit different than the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, he's basically teaching them, here's what my disciples look like. Here's what people who follow me should do. This is how they should think. This is how they should operate. This is what they should do. And a lot of people, he, he understood that a lot of people would try to look like his disciples. And if you go into the book of Acts, you know there were people who would pretend to be followers of Jesus. If you go into the average Christian church, Baptist church today, there are a lot of people who pretend to be followers of Jesus. But Jesus is saying in these verses, you can't be something that you're not. You can't, like my son, say, I'm Peter Parker, and actually become Spider-Man. No more than you can say, I'm a Christian, if you're not really a Christian on the inside. There has to be a change. Look with me in verse 43 where Jesus says, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. This is just a law of nature. Plants produce according to their nature. A good tree there he's talking about. A good plant is one that's edible, one that's helpful, one that's tasty, one that's nutritious. You could actually go up to a good plant and pick a piece of fruit off of it and eat it and not make you sick. It tastes good to your mouth. And it actually, if you eat enough of it over enough time, it actually may do your body some good in the process. That's what a good plant does. On the other hand, you've got a corrupt tree. A corrupt tree, he talks about, is one that's got, it's kind of rotten. It's inedible. Might even be poison. It could actually cause harm to you. It's probably going to taste bad in your mouth. Y'all ever had something that just tastes terrible? I used to have a um, Japanese persimmon tree in my yard. And um, they told me it would taste good. I don't know how to grow anything, just so you know. I know, I know we got a lot of either farmers or people that are in farming families. We all know, y'all know what growing stuff means. I, I don't understand how to do that. And I had this persimmon tree, and I, I tell you what, if the things had to be rotten before they would even be edible, and even then they weren't great. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. So that's what a corrupt fruit would be. Just because I don't know how to grow it, I guess. But nonetheless, it was a corrupt fruit. But the point is, you can't expect to go up to a an, a plant that's poison, let's just say, and expect to pull off something that's edible. It's going to hurt you. And at the very least, even if it doesn't harm you, it's going to taste terrible in your mouth. That's just the law of nature. Further, go to verse 44. He says that every tree is known by his own fruit. You can tell what that tree is or that bush is by what comes off of it, can't you? You can see it. Look at what he says there in verse 44. For a thorn... Men do not gather figs, nor a bramble of a bramble bush gather they grapes. You go and you see figs on a fig tree. You go and see grapes on a grapevine. You don't go to the thorns and the thistles and go pick up some apples. You can't go to the, the highways and hedges and pick up some, some sort of pear or a peach. That's not what you're going to get off the weeds off the side of the road. That's just not how that goes. 
who can't produce that thorny, scrubby bushes and weeds, what do they give you? Thorns. Junk. Uselessness. Why we kill them with uh, Roundup. Or we get the weeds and dig them up. That's why we don't want those things. They're useless. They're not helpful to us. We can't expect to gather fruit from weeds. Now, if you say, well, Matthew, that's just common sense. I know. Jesus makes a lot of sense sometimes, doesn't he? Ain't that something? He makes a lot of sense sometimes. But he goes on in verse 45 to say that these same principles apply to people. Go to verse 45. Because a good, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. The same principle. He's essentially saying, I know this happens in the, the vegetable world, the, the plant world, but it also applies in the human world, too. People follow those same principles. Good people produce good things. That's what it's saying. Corrupt people produce corrupt things. But there's a little problem. Jesus doesn't directly address it here. It's indirectly suggested. But the Bible, testimony of the Bible overall, definitely gets, this, gets to this problem. You know what the big problem is? Ain't none of us did. Not a one of us did. All of us are evil at our root. Do you know what that means then? If what, I, what he says in verse 45 is true, out of good man, a good treasure's heart bringeth forth that which is good, an evil man out of the evil treasure's heart bringeth forth that which is evil, what's going to happen? All things being equal. Evil is going to come out of us. There is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3, verse 10. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. That's a problem on its own, but I think there's even a bigger problem. That's bad enough, but it's a bigger one. None of us want to admit it. None of us want to admit that we are evil at our heart. We like to put on a good front. And, and I want to acknowledge, I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who made the effort, because it's not easy, it's not a roll-out-of-the-bed-and-do-it thing, but made the effort to get in your vehicle, put some clothes on, and get in your vehicle, hope you do it in that order, just get clothes on, then get in your vehicle, and then come to the church house and sit down and, and act like you've got sense. I mean, that, that does not come naturally. You have to make an effort. And I know that I'm talking to you all, not demons out there. I'm talking to you and in here. That's who we're talking to. And I'm saying to you, we don't like to acknowledge that we, at our root, are sinful. We like to put on a good front. But the problem is, and what Jesus is making plain, is people only produce and continue to produce according to their nature. Perverts can't be pure. Warriors can't trust. The vulgar tongued will not speak peace. Greedy people can't be generous. Hateful people can't love. We're sinful people. You know what sinful people do? Sinful people do sinful things. That's what they do. Sinful people do sinful things. You say, well, well, I know a guy that, 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 that he's, he's kind of bad, but he does some good things every now and again. Or you may say, well, I try to do really good things. And I'll just tell you, I know we all try to be good. But even in our goodness, the good stuff we do is tainted by sin. 
Isaiah writes in Isaiah 64, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, the best that we have to offer, are as filthy rags. You may say, well, Matthew, I came to hear something to uplift my soul when you hurt my feelings. And I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Jesus loves you. He does. I promise you, He does. But He's making it plain to us because sometimes you need to look in the mirror and pay attention to the real reality. If you got a little smuts on your face and it needs to get off. And that's what He's telling us here. There's something wrong. There's a problem. We're just producing according to our nature. It's the natural production of human beings. Uh, Paul writes this over in Galatians chapter 5. He calls it the work of the flesh. This is what our bodies do by nature. This is what he lists off. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, which is just immoral living, lasciviousness, reckless living, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, just having strife and anger with each other, emulation, jealousy with each other, wrath, strife, selfish ambition, Sedition, just the division and the, 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 the groupings that we have. Heresy, envying, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. He says this is the work of the flesh. This is what we do naturally. I want you to understand what I'm getting at here. I'm gonna, I'm, by the way, there's good news coming, just so you all know. I, 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 wanna, I just want you all to know I've got good news. That's great, because Jesus loves you. But you need to know something, and this is important. You can smear over anything you want to. You can dress any way you want to. You can talk any way you want to. You can live any way you want to in order to try to impress people. Try to help me think you're a good person. Help everybody who lives around you think you're a good person. But if you are a natural-born human being, and I'm not aware of anybody here that's not a natural-born human being, please, understand we are all this way. If you are that, no matter what you try, there is a churning, burning machine of sin inside of your soul. And every which way, even the good stuff that you put out, it's going to be corrupted by evil. What you need then, if you go back to verse 43, we need a good tree to bring forth good fruit. Go to verse 44. If every tree is known by its fruit, so we need, we, need, we need better fruit. But where does that fruit come from? He talks about it in verse 45. It's out of the good treasure of his heart. Think about it in plant terms. We need better roots. We need a better kind of source. We need something that's different, changing. You know what you need? You don't need a makeover. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need somebody to come in and kind of spruce you up a little bit. You need Jesus Christ to come in and take the whole thing down and completely rebuild it. If you're not aware of this word, let me give you a little theology this morning. This is a big word called regeneration. This is what is called regeneration. This is where that if you're in Christ, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are absolutely, you must absolutely fully be made new. We cannot simply go up to the lemon tree, 
knock off the lemons and glue some peaches on it and say, that's the peach tree now. It's not how that works. If you want a peach tree there, what you got to do? Get rid of the lemon tree. Plant a peach tree. Let's go back to the person. We want a Christian. We want someone who loves the Lord. We want someone who doesn't do the works of the flesh, but instead does the fruit of the Spirit. What do we need? We need somebody to come in, dig up that old root, plant a new root in its place, and say, this now is going to produce the right fruit. We need Jesus' nature to be planted into us. He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Only person ever lived that was good, ultimately good, right in everything he did was Jesus. He was the only one. And if I ever want to have good fruit, I better have not only access to Him, which we do, I need Him in me. I need Him to be my root. I need to be connected to Him. Because when that happens, just like that root of a plant, what happens? It's able to draw the right nutrients to that particular that particular species needs to produce those particular fruits and those particular buds and all that stuff in the same way because when I have the, the, the Spirit, the nature of Jesus, you know what I have in me? I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me and the Holy Spirit starts producing His fruit. No more is it the fruits of the flesh, the adultery and the murders and the dissension and all that other stuff. Instead, what do I have? Love. Joy. Peace. Long suffering. I can put up with some people finally. Gentleness. I'm going to do it in a sweet, kind way. Goodness. Faith. Weakness. Temperance. I'm going to do this in a way that is completely controlled in myself. That's the way that's going to happen. You say, well, I try to do that. Me too. Fail miserably. Do you know who can do that for you? Not you, not me, not anybody that ever lived except for one person that is his name is Jesus. He can produce that until, until Jesus comes in and doesn't do a, a makeover, a renovation, but does a complete and total rebuild. Until Jesus does that, you'll just be producing the natural fruit that every human being always produces. You need to come to Jesus for the cleansing power. You need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Too many briar bushes out there trying to pop out pieces. Pieces. <laughs> I can just imagine we're a bunch of Christians, Christians, and I put quotations around it, a bunch of Christians. But what we really are, we're bushes on the side of the road that's been neglected. We're sitting there grunting and groaning, straining, stretching, trying to pop out pieces. And that's never going to happen until the Lord God Almighty comes in and uproots us, plants us again, and puts new roots on us, which is the roots of Jesus. Until that happens, the best we can do is pretend. As we talked about last week, our pretending does nothing but damn us and damn those around us. Our pretending is nothing more than hiding the rottenness of our soul. Our pretending ignores the real needs of our heart 
And what we need to do is stop worrying about impressing people and start being concerned about a real relationship with a real holy God. And when we get to that position, when He comes in and He uproots us and He plants us down, we will understand that He saves, He transforms us. And when He does that, then He provides for us this wellspring, really this constant, eternal spring of ever-flowing life in us through the Holy Spirit. A power and a treasure so that we can actually do a thing with people. You, know, you can remember, some of you can think back to maybe it's a parent or a grandparent or maybe some preacher that you knew or some missionary that did an amazing thing. or what it, You may know some people that you can look back and say, man, they were great people. They did good things. They did wonderful things for the Lord. Do you know how they did those things? Not because they were so good, and I'm sure they were nice folks, so don't get me wrong, but they were sinners, just like me and you. You know what happened? God uprooted them and put the root of Jesus in their place, and He attached them to that. And the fruit that came from their lives, that you're even talking about today, the fruit that came from their lives is the Holy Spirit. Because you see, you can't produce, you can't be what you're not, but you also can't produce what you don't have. Because plants only grow based on seed and soil. Think to you this way. If I want to grow some grapes, I can't get grass seed and gravel and expect to get any grapes out of that. It's not going to work. Plants draw their power from another source. And as I said, people follow that same principle. And Jesus says it this way in John 15, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I, Jesus, am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So I want you to think, what is my seed and what is my soil? Am I grass, seed, and gravel? Trying to be a beautiful grapevine? No, your source is all wrong. You're going to get it wrong every time. You have to operate from the overflow, the outflow of your heart's treasure. I just want to give you this word of encouragement to you that are Christians. You say, well, Matthew, everything you're talking about sounds like I just need to get saved again. I'm just going to tell you, if you're already saved, I'm not trying to get saved again. The Lord does it once. He's good. You're taken care of. Understand that. But I want you to understand that sometimes you can start to treasure some other things. You can start to get your source of power from other things. And that's where we go wrong. It's where James talks about in James chapter 1 and verse 14 that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You know where I go off track? It's not because there's wickedness out there. There is wickedness out there. You know where I go off track? Well, there's wickedness in here. And I value my sin more than I value my Savior. I follow my heart. My heart wants that. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We can know it. So to produce better fruit in my life, Christian, I need a better treasure. Yes, I've been saved. My, my, I've got the Holy Spirit. But for one reason or another, you're not treasuring Him. You're not seeing Him as a valuable thing. You're instead chasing everything else. You're not putting those, those things of this world aside. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit's guiding 
You need to take a page out of Paul's book in Philippians 3 where he says, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost. I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered all, the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You can have the Holy Spirit living in you. I'm telling you this in part because of what the Bible teaches, in part because of my own experience, which corresponds with the Bible teaches. You can have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. And you can produce some of the terrible fruit that ever was. You can produce some of the works of the flesh. And the reason is because your treasure is the wrong thing. He says there in verse 45, it's out of a good treasure that bringeth forth fruit. My treasure should be Jesus. The problem is I'm so in love, I'm still in love with my sin, and just want maybe Jesus to pay for my sin so I don't have to pay for it. Jesus becomes some kind of get out of hell free card. Wrong attitude, friends. You need to realize it's something J.C. Ryle said. I want to quote it here for you. Terribly black must that guilt be, for which nothing but the blood of the Son of God could make satisfaction. Until you realize that that sin that your heart wants, I'm going to tell you, I'm standing here as an experienced sinner. I know what my heart wants. Until I understand that what my heart wants, is what put my Savior on the cross. You know what I'm going to do every time? I'm going to chase that sin nine ways to Sunday. But when I get that realization that my sin was so dark, so corrupt, so wicked, that it took God Himself to die for it. When I do, and I will tell you again, the Bible teaches me this, my own experience validates this, when I get to that place, that sin that got me to the place where I was like, man, I can't imagine doing anything but that. That feels so right. That feels so good. That's what I need to do in this moment. But when I feel like my sin was what put Him on the cross, that's when I start to realize, man, Jesus is kind of... I don't want to do this because He's precious to me. My concern for some of you is that your sin is way too precious. His blood is way too cheap. If that's where you are, I want to encourage you. What, what the writer John says that if we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. There's too many that are trying to be something they're not. You've never had Jesus come in and take over. That's where you are this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm inviting you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bow down. Ask for His salvation. He promised, if you believe in Him, He will save you. He promised that. There's no doubt about it. There's not some hoops you've got to jump through. You just have to come to Him in faith. Please, save me, and He will save you. And I want to tell you, if that's where you are, Jesus is never coming in and taking over. You need to come to Him today. He'll transform your life. He will have the Holy Spirit take up residence and He will regenerate you. He will uproot that old plant and put the root of Christ in place and you will be a new creature in Christ. Please, 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 if I accomplish nothing else 
today. If I accomplish nothing else in the few months that I'm here with you, if I accomplish nothing else, please hear me say this. You will never, ever, ever be a Christian apart from the regenerating work of God. He's got to save you. You've got to come to Him. Please come to Him. Don't think that coming to this church and meeting somebody's standards and showing up or being on a committee or being a member, any of those things, those will not take you to heaven. Jesus and Jesus alone. You need a Savior. Believe in Him today. Too many Christians are trying to produce good work without pursuing Jesus Christ. Holding on to the things of this world and not treasuring the Savior that died for you. You need to run to Jesus, and I want you to do that. I want you to do that. You'll never be a good Christian until you've been made a new You'll never produce works of righteousness until you're connected to the root 